Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, March 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, what Mississippi's University Hospital is doing to combat the coronavirus. And we talk with Southern Remedies' Dr. Jimmy Stewart about the essential need-to-knows regarding COVID-19. Then the governor meets with the Mississippi Economic Council. Plus, in today's book club, Katie Simpson-Smith's The Everlasting. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The number of people testing positive for the coronavirus in Mississippi has increased. The total now stands at 34 in 14 counties. To combat the spread of the virus, the University of Mississippi Medical Center is ramping up contingency plans and developing a test to help identify patients quickly. Dr. Alan Jones is chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine. He urges people to avoid using emergency services during this crisis. Um, In order to try to care for as many patients as we can, and uh, remembering that all the normal stuff that we care for is going to continue to happen as we see this new deluge of patients. Uh, That's why people are being asked to alter their life. In terms of testing, we've pivoted from trying to stratify patients by travel and some of the other things that we could do in the early phases of this to really uh, testing symptomatic patients. So now we will have to Um, really hone in on what some of the symptoms, pertinent symptoms are, and make decisions about whether to test or not test. It's very important that people not come to the emergency department. I cannot stress that enough. If you are concerned you may have the virus and you don't believe that you are uh, dramatically worsening or that you are in need of hospitalization for that, then we would urge you strongly to stay away from the emergency department and use some type of telephone or telehealth option to get some advice. There are various ones. We very shortly will be standing one up that we hope will be very widely available. Um, But oftentimes, 
patients are just going to need uh, some reassurance and to isolate themselves. Dr. Alan Jones is the chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine at UMMC. To keep up with the demand for coronavirus testing, UMMC is creating its own test kit. Dr. Richard Summers is an associate vice chancellor for research. He says being an academic medical center, they have the resources to develop their own testing measures. Available tests here in the state, of course, come through the health department, which we've utilized. There's some National groups like LabCorp and Quest that also provide the tests on a limited basis, but everybody across the country is clamoring for that. One of the differences in an academic medical center is that not only do we have physicians, but we also have scientists, microbiologists, pathologists, and others that have research capabilities, do these kinds of techniques like PCR techniques that are necessary for creating this test. So early on, we began to look at what we would need, knowing there was limited tests in the state, to develop our own tests. Um, that requires us to utilize some research equipment and techniques and bring together a group of scientists and physicians together to work on that. We're still a couple, few weeks away from that, but we've made great progress in doing that. Once we are able to do testing, we're looking to scale that up rapidly to provide that for the citizens of our state. Dr. Luann Woodward, Dean of the School of Medicine, addresses the challenge of confusion. She says the fluidity of the situation creates a stream of new information and recommendations. The confusion is widespread. Um, And that is in part because the recommendations, this is an evolving process for the entire country. The recommendations coming out of CDC, every every hour we're learning something new. So that has been, in fact, you know, a challenge that we have all faced is to try to keep people on the same page and have people understand the latest information that we have available today, whether it's about testing, you know, is different than what we were getting 24 hours ago. So um, you're right in saying there's confusion. There is a lot of confusion, and it's not because anybody's giving out bad information or that even there's a lack of information. I mean, if you Google this, it's all over the place. But, but things are just changing. It's just a fast-changing situation. The hospital wants to flatten the curve, meaning prevent the spread of disease as much as possible to not overwhelm the healthcare system. Dr. Jones stresses this is not to be taken lightly. So I can't stress enough, this is something that none of us in our lifetime have seen. Um, this is not to be taken lightly. Uh, this, this will affect us profoundly, and it will, you know, unfortunately affect many people that you know personally. Um, and it, this is not another bad flu season. This is a lot different. This is truly something that's going to change, that in 50 years, school children are going to be reading about this. That is not an exaggeration. This, when we're talking about on the order of 200,000 to 1.7 million deaths in the United States, it's going to be significant. A student and a nurse at UMMC both tested positive for COVID-19 and are in self-isolation at their homes. The hospital has 93 ICU beds prepared, and they're looking for more ways to expand its capacity. Leaders say they're preparing an entire floor of the hospital to treat patients with COVID-19. To stay current on the latest developments concerning the coronavirus in Mississippi, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus.
Next, we talk with Southern Remedies' Dr. Jimmy Stewart about the essential need-to-knows regarding COVID-19. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As more and more people begin adjusting to life with the coronavirus, staying informed about the virus and COVID-19 are becoming a top priority. MPB's Michael Guidry talks with Southern Remedies Dr. Jimmy Stewart to get a basic understanding of the disease, its transmission, and how to flatten the curve. Coronaviruses are common respiratory viruses that generally occur during winter months. So they cause the most common symptoms of uh, the common cold, so usually a cough, a fever, uh, maybe some uh, muscle aches and pains. So they're similar uh, in distribution as far as times of the year as influenza, uh, but they also um, uh, you know, can, can uh, infect people seasonally. Uh, you can find them any time of year. There's different types uh, of or groups of coronavirus. COVID-19 was, um, as it's named now, was first described in late November, early December in uh, China, particularly around the city of Wuhan, which is about 12 million people. And uh, quite uh, uh, real quickly, it became uh, prevalent throughout that entire region, uh, affecting about 80,000 people in China, most of which were uh, were centrally located around that, that province, around the city of Wuhan. Uh, since then, of course, it's, it's rapidly uh, affected all inhabited parts of the earth, and that is why the World Health Organization has declared this a pandemic. So it's something that affects all inhabited areas of the, of the, of the world at the same time uh, and is rapidly moving into, at this point, in uh, mid-March to other areas, particularly the United States, uh, where it's been causing a lot of problems. SARS and MERS, other uh, respiratory conditions and ailments caused by other strains of coronavirus. What makes this one in COVID-19 so much different and more threatening than those? COVID-19 has more severe symptoms, particularly in those of age 65 and older with chronic health conditions. Um, it doesn't affect individuals quite as much as SARS or MERS, but it's similar, particularly in those subgroups. Interestingly enough, the very young Infants and children are not affected as, as much, and even if they are infected with the virus, they may have milder, milder symptoms. We've heard this term, flattening the curve, and currently it looks like we're outpacing Italy when we look at the curve of infections. What does that mean, and how do we, quote, flatten the curve? So if you slow down transmission, the curve of disease spread out more over time so that we're more able to deal with that. Um, social distancing is one way to do that, certainly hand washing and uh, trying to decrease all the ways that this is transmitted would be some of the main ways to do that. The longer you do it, the better your chances are of preventing that. So a, um, a success would be if we didn't have as many cases, uh, but you have to get serious about that um, uh, to have a big effect and the entire population really has to join in to, to be successful. Not everyone who gets tested positive ends up in hospital. A hospitalization, we've, we've learned, isn't required or, or necessary for 100% of those people uh, that, that get COVID-19. We've often heard of self-isolation, but clear up some of the things about self-isolation with us. Is it possible to self-isolate when you live with others? And if not, 
what measures do people need to take if they're positive, they don't require uh, hospitalization, but they do require isolation? Right. So the the vast majority of people may have no symptoms at all. Um, So we're not even going to know about them, but they could still transmit. If you have symptoms and you test positive, most of those people are going to be able to go home. Now, there is a risk of transmission for people in your home. A lot of the recommendations uh, from the CDC and the World Health Organization have been away from other individuals so that those respiratory droplets aren't transmitted to them uh, with infected virus for those 14 days of self-quarantine would be the best way to decrease that. And you mentioned respiratory droplets and how that can either be exchanged amongst people or land on surfaces. And so another question is, how long can the virus survive on these hard surfaces if they're not being sanitized and cleaned daily or hourly? Uh, Length of time that it stays on surfaces to be transmitted to somebody else varies with individual surface. So more porous surfaces, uh, cardboard, you might see that last for hours, Um, uh, paper, hours, uh, stainless steel and plastics, if they remain wet and they're not cleaned, then you might see that virus uh, stay on those surfaces for two to three days. So that it's very important to wipe down those things and to think about areas that may not be necessarily things like in the kitchen, but also doorknobs or other places of getting in and out of different rooms in our house. This is uh, Dr. Jimmy Stewart. And uh, for more health questions, you can always tune into Southern Remedy Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Thank you, Dr. Stewart. Thank you. Coming up, the governor meets with the Mississippi Economic Council. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's governor is requesting an economic disaster declaration from the Small Business Administration to help companies hit financially by the coronavirus outbreak. Governor Tate Reeves met with the Mississippi Economic Council Wednesday via online conferencing. Reeves remains self-quarantined since his return from Spain over the weekend, even though he and his family don't have any symptoms. He says the administration must consider both public health and economic risk when navigating the threat of the coronavirus. Every decision that we are making, we have to take into consideration not only the public health, but also the economic risk that goes along with those decisions. And so um, that's one of the things that that I think that I want to task your members to think through and to get us feedback um, is uh, in terms of we've got to protect our public and, and ensuring public health is maintained But also we've got to recognize in every decision we make, there is economic risk that we have to calculate as well. Governor Reeves also says the state qualifies for expedited small business administration loans. He urges small business owners to submit their financial losses related to the coronavirus to their local emergency management agencies. Uh, The Small Business Administration does have SBA loans for small businesses just for situations such as this. Um, Now, you have to meet a certain threshold to 
receive approval by SBA, and we are working with the administration um, as we speak. Um, but we have we have met that minimum threshold, and therefore we have applied for um, expedition of an expedited process whereby we can get those approved. What I would say to your members, and this is really important, is we have met the minimum threshold, but the more data we can collect to provide to SBA, the more likely we can get that expedited. And so what we're asking for our small business owners around Mississippi is work through your local EMAs. Uh, there, are, there are emergency operations centers set up, certainly the state EOC is set up, at the local emergency management professionals in every community. Work through them, provide them information and data in terms of what the business losses are uh, in your communities because the more information that we have, the stronger case we can make to the SBA to get this done more quickly. The SBA loans provide up to $2 million for temporary losses. The loss of revenue for that state during during the state during the crisis is a concern for lawmakers. There's at least a billion dollars in reserve accounts, including the state's rainy day fund. House Republican Randy Rushing of Decatur tells our Desiree Frazier now is the time to use it if needed. Well, we, we don't have any choice. Uh, it's certainly going to be a, an impact on the state budget. But there again, that's what the rainy day fund's there for. I mean, that's what... This is the rainy day. We've been putting back, uh, thanks to the uh, prior leadership of Governor Bryant and the current leadership of Governor Reeves, and when he was Lieutenant Governor and the Speaker of the House, and and we've been working building this rainy day fund up to the detriment of some people's opinions, but it's sitting there now. So I'm optimistic from a revenue standpoint that we're not going to have to look at cuts and we may continue on. Uh, our state government and our budgets, as as always, uh, because that fund is sitting there. I, I'm sure, I feel sure personally, we'll have to look at digging into it. How much is certainly a question at this point, but uh, we, it's good to know that it's there in the event we need it. Representative, thank you so much for your time. House Republican Randy Rushing is from Decatur. Reeves told the business leaders the Trump administration is working to provide cash relief to Americans to keep the economy going, which would also help Mississippians. The administration is requesting a $1.2 trillion package uh, from the Congress. Uh, That would include getting money in the pockets of average, everyday working Americans and average, everyday working Mississippians. That's one of the real challenges with almost $100 Americans uh, that are currently working in the service sector, well, in many places across the country, um, the service sector is shut down, and even in many places across Mississippi, when you start talking about restaurants, et cetera, uh, there's major challenges uh, for small business owners. And so I think it would be very uh, helpful for the administration uh, to be successful in getting the Congress to act. Our delegation certainly is, is inclined to be supportive in that in that role and are, are doing a fantastic job. Um, that's going to be the single biggest issue is making sure that, that individual Americans and individual Mississippians have money in their pockets uh, so that they can, at a minimum, provide uh, the essentials for uh, their families. Reeves says the Trump administration has been in talks with the CEOs of major grocery store chains to ensure stores stay open and supply chains remain intact. The governor asks constituents to avoid hoarding and only buy what's needed for a week or two at a time. Governor Reeves will be going live on Facebook at 10 o'clock to discuss plans for schools in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. Coming up, our book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Right now, mpbonline.org is your resource to stay up to date on news about COVID-19. The coronavirus is a worldwide pandemic, and MPB is here to let you know how that affects Mississippi. mpbonline.org has an entire section dedicated to the coronavirus with links and updates from the Center for Disease Control and the Mississippi Department of Health. Visit our website right now, mpbonline.org, to find out what you need to know. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The setting is Rome, the time period over 2,000 years, from 165 A.D. to 2015. Four protagonists. The Everlasting is the third novel from Mississippi native Katie Simpson-Smith. I had to figure out how to create an image of Rome that was somehow consistent from the 2nd century CE to the 21st century while still being authentic to each time period and its individuality. And so one of the first things I did, knowing nothing about Rome, was to go to the library and check out children's books, which give you a very basic understanding of what early Romans were wearing, what medieval Romans were eating, what castles looked like. So that was my first foray into What a great idea. And then I could find out the smaller things that I needed to go deeper into research about. You have four characters. First is Tom in the year 2015. Then there's Julia in 1559. Then you have Felix, a monk, in 896. And then Prisca in 165. So if you Mm -hmm. would, start and tell us about them and what their story is or what their challenges are. Yes. Uh, So we start with Tom, who is a contemporary field biologist, trying to decide whether he should have an affair. He's left his wife back in America and is kind of on his own out there. He falls in love with this mysterious woman, but at the same time, he's trying to figure out what the moral thing to do in that situation is. He's also facing a health crisis. And then moving back, we have Julia, who is based on a real figure, a Medici princess named Julia de' Medici, who had African ancestry. She sort of doesn't quite fit into her family and has a chip on her shoulder about other people's perceptions of her. And she, too, is kind of stuck in this love triangle that she's trying to disentangle. You said she's based Mm -hmm. on a real person. How did you discover her? I was just doing research into the Medici, and I found this portrait of a woman who has slightly darker skin than most of the Medici portraits I'm familiar with. I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder what her story is. And in fact, it took art historians almost a century to realize that this portrait was, in fact, of a woman whose grandmother was a North African servant who had an affair with one of the Medici popes. So that's how we get Julia. And now we have Felix the monk, who I find particularly interesting because of what he does. Yes, he is in charge of the monastery's crypt. So his job is to sit down with the dead bodies of his fellow monks who uh, are not buried in the ground but are sort of propped up on these stone seats. And he must contemplate mortality as he watches them decompose slowly. I read several pages, cringeworthy, certainly, describing these <laughs> bodies decomposing. Is that what they did back then? They they sat bodies yeah. up and because there's a point where it talks about him having to poke a foot, otherwise it would explode <laughs> because of the fluids <laughs> that gather there. Why did they watch um, bodies decompose? I think there was a perception that if you put bodies in the ground, it was uh, shutting off this window that you might have onto God. 
process of sort of reaccepting the human body back into the fold. Whereas if you watched them and you would have the opportunity to fully understand how the body and the soul are distinct and the body is just a vessel, it's a container, and that God in his wisdom has taken the central beautiful soul of us and that's the most important thing. Now we come to Prisca in the year 165. Yes, she is a young girl living on the outskirts of Rome who is, like most young girls, not paid attention to as much as she would like to be. And when she hears about these rumors of a new religion, Christianity, she sees it as an opportunity to be heard for the first time in her life. Jesus was preaching that one should listen to the meek and the quiet and the sparrows of the earth. Did you start with more characters and whittle it down to the four? These are such varied characters in this setting over 2,000 years. I always knew that it would be four. It took me a long time to figure out what years to focus on. It's sort of like drawing years out of a hat in a certain sense and figuring out what the main cultural and political events were at that time. But once I got uh, a sense of time period, then these four characters really uh, crystallized pretty quickly. Well, it certainly seems fascinating, and, and from what I've seen, it is fascinating. The everlasting Katie Simpson-Smith is its author. Katie, thank you so much for sharing and uh, giving us a little preview of what we can expect with your book. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.